Hey everyone, today's episode walks you through version 6.2 of Joe Massey's rental analysis spreadsheet. This is part of the Deal Blitz podcast series I'll be doing. And so part of the series here is recording three tutorial videos using Joe's spreadsheet. So record those so there's very clear, concise YouTube tutorial videos. But I also wanted to post the audio to the podcast channel as well, because we do talk a lot of assumptions on there. So I thought many of you guys could benefit from hearing what Joe and I discussed. If you need the play-by-play, go to denverinvestmentrealestate.com slash spreadsheet. All three videos will be on there. And if you don't have the latest version of the spreadsheet, download on the website. Or if you have problems, definitely shoot me an email at chris at denverinvestmentrealestate.com. I'm more than happy to email it out to you. All right, here's the show. You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and I've got Joe Massey with Castle & Cook sitting next to me in the studio. So what we're gonna do today is actually record a video or a tutorial on how to use the latest version of Joe's Investment Property Analysis Spreadsheet. So this is version 6.2, We've had out for a couple of months now, uh, but this is the one with the ROI quadrant and some other updates that Joe has made. So we're gonna go through and talk about how to use a spreadsheet and how to analyze a investment property. So Joe, take it away. All right, so the first thing you're gonna do here when you open up the spreadsheet, right at the top, it's gonna have my information, um, Chris's information, and then of course our investment partner, um, James Orr at Real Estate Financial Planner LLC and all of his information. Um, he was an integral part in helping us put all this together. Um, so there's all of our contact information. If you ever have questions, wanna buy a new house, wanna get a new loan, we would love to chat with you about it. So when you open this, the spreadsheet, if you've downloaded it from the website, the first thing you're going to see, and it's not shown here on the screen, but you're going to get a little yellow warning at the top. It's going to say, hey, this this has macros. You know, Do you want to enable content? Yes, you do. Um, then you're going to work your way down the sheet, and you can only fill in the yellow highlighted fields. It's not going to let you break any of the formulas. It's not going to let you change anything you shouldn't be changing. So you're just going to work your way down the, she down the, <laughs> down the sheet, <laughs> filling out the fields, and uh, go going through and then we're going to cover the results. So Chris, I think we've got a real property that we're going to be looking at. Is that right? Yeah. So this is a condo I closed on about a week ago that I bought okay. myself. You did the loan on. So we know all the numbers on here. What's the street name? Um, just say Aurora condo. All right. So Aurora condo. All right. Number of units. This is a single family, right? This is just one unit, not a, uh, not Correct, a uh, multi-unit unit or anything like that, right? If it's a multi-unit, we could select one, two, three, four units, but this is just a one-unit condo. Now, this is an investment property. It is not a primary residence, correct? Correct. Okay. That's going to be real important because um, there are some important parts here that discuss down payment, uh, monthly payments, et cetera. And we're going to do a second podcast on what it would look like to analyze a primary residence either as a nomad or a house hack. But for what we're doing today, uh, we're talking about just simply investment property. Now, how much did you put down, Chris? Uh, this was 25%. 25%. Now, if you put in here something that's not going to work, let's say you put in here, hey, I'm going to do 10% down. Spreadsheet's going to tell you a couple things. Number one, you're going to need mortgage insurance, and we're going to calculate it for you. Number two, you need more down payment. All right. To do an investment property, your minimum down payment is 15%. So you're not going to be able to do just 10% down. So you can put in, you know, 0%, but that doesn't mean there's actually a loan that you can qualify for. 
Um, so you would do 15% as the minimum or uh, 25% or uh, 20% or maybe you're doing 30%, whatever. But in this case, you did 25% down, correct? Correct. And our purchase price? 196. 196. All right. And how much were the acquisition costs? Uh, they were right around like four grand. $4,000. Now, acquisition costs, if you highlight this little red icon over here, this is going to remind you to be sure you include your property insurance, inspection, appraisal, any transfer taxes, title insurance, recording fees, closing fees, any other expenses. Did you pay points? Did you pay for additional mortgage insurance? Um, that, that'll actually be calculated in certain scenarios. Um, did you pay... Uh, I don't know what else there might be. Sewer scope. Did you pay for a roof inspection or a home warranty? Any of these miscellaneous items associated with buying the property are going to go right here in your acquisition cost. So let's stop here for a second, Joe, because I know we got a lot of people listening to this. Uh, what is some good default numbers used for acquisition costs? Because I have worked with a lot of new investors who use this, and I see all sorts of numbers on here. So like, do you have any rules, uh, rules of thumbs that you use for acquisition costs? So I'm going to give you a really long answer. And at the end of the answer, it's going to be no, I don't have a rule of thumb. And here's why. This is why you and I are never going to be replaced by robots. All right. So let's say that you're just buying a property for $100,000. You're still going to have the cost of an appraisal, title insurance, et cetera. It might be $3,000, $4,000 of acquisition costs. Now, let's say you're going to buy a million dollar home. You're still going to have an appraisal for 600 bucks. You're still going to have title insurance. Your acquisition costs might be $4,000, $5,000, maybe $6,000. So there's not necessarily a direct linear relationship between the purchase price, the down payment, and your acquisition costs. A lot of people like to say, oh, can I just use 2%? Sure. You can use whatever number you want. That's why this is highlighted in yellow so that you can change it. You can put in whatever you want. Beginning investors out there, I would encourage you look at the settlement statement from when you bought your home. If you haven't bought a home yet, you want to plug in $2,000, $3,000, $10,000. All those numbers are reasonable, might be higher, might be lower. So it's really tough to answer that. Is there a rule of thumb? No. I have some investors that purchase with no closing costs. Now, the trade-off, they have a higher interest rate. I have some investors um, that have really, really low interest rates, and they pay three, four, five points. Um, so difficult question to answer, but no, there's no rule of thumb. It's it's up to you, Mr. Investor. But I mean, that's the reality. So, you know, always talk with me, always talk with Joe. But if you need an absolute, just a number to stick in there, I would just say stick $5,000 in there. Great. As just a catch-all rule of thumb. You have no idea what you're doing. Put $5,000 in there. But do not, as Joe said, do not put 2 or 3% on the purchase price. I know on the internet and Google and a lot of people use these percent rules. They don't really work too well out here in Denver. Yep, but they don't work anywhere because those percent rules, anything that somebody says is a rule in real estate is wrong. There's no rules in real estate. Everything is going to be individual <laughs> to the individual person. So sometimes I'll have people come meet with me. They're like, well, I put in acquisition costs of $6,000, but you know, once we went through it here, it's $7,500. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry you used the wrong number. <laughs> you know, this is this is the cost for this plan. So you know, that's, that's a good topic. Um, we could go down that for, yep. for two hours. So loan costs, this one we know, $1,540. That's our flat cost to process and underwrite your loan. Um, down payment, $49,000. Now that's going to change depending on the amount we put in up here. All right, so that's going to calculate for you. Um, mortgage balance, that's going to be the inverse of your down payment, right? Add these two together, that's going to come up with our purchase price. Now, seller credits. Um, seller credits, if you're doing an investment property, it's a maximum of 2%. 
maximum of 3% for a primary residence. So on this one, Chris, did you have any seller concessions? No. All right. If you did, you could put in here uh, $25,000. The spreadsheet's going to catch that, and it's not going to let you put in here more than what you can use for your initial investment. So if you negotiated for $25,000, congratulations, you're a great negotiator. Um, you're only going to be able to use $5,540. The rest of that's going to go back to the seller. So if you did $5,000, great. That's going to reduce your total initial investment. But in this case, there was zero seller credits. How about initial repair costs? Did the property need any repairs? Yeah, this needs about uh, $4,800 worth. So that was uh, paint, a bunch of handyman stuff, and then two of the sliding doors need to be replaced, which is uh, a good chunk of that. Okay. So the spreadsheet now totals up our total initial investment. This is our acquisition cost, loan cost, down payment, and then our initial repair cost, $61,692. All right, so that's our initial investment into this transaction. Next one you've got is your interest rate. What was your interest rate on this transaction, Chris? Uh, 3.875. 3.875, this was a 30-year loan, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Now, monthly rent on the property. Eighteen fifty. Eighteen fifty. Is this Section Eight or any any other type of notes uh, we should put in? It'll most likely be Section Eight. All right, you can put in notes there on the side. Anything in regards to your monthly rents. All right. Now, vacancy. Um, Chris, tell us what is vacancy exactly? Vacancy is when the, when the unit is empty. Yeah. So that is either when you initially purchase it. Uh, sometimes, if it's income property, there may be tenant in there. Uh, but a lot of times there's not. In this case, there was no tenant. So bought the place. My property manager, you know, uh, is doing the work, has a property listed. It's going to be vacant for a couple of weeks till someone moves in. And hopefully that tenant stays there a couple of years. But whenever they move out, there's most likely going to be a gap between when tenant one moves out and tenant two moves in. And that's vacancy. Yep, that's exactly right. Now, what's the vacancy percentage in the Denver metro area right now? Uh, between 3 to 5%. Yeah, yeah, that's historically low, right? Yep. Very, very low. What number do you like to use for your long-term analysis? I like to use 3% right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very wise number because the this particular property, not at the low end of the market, but you know, low-ish as far as rents, so this is a property that's going to remain occupied even in tough economic times. Now, if I'm buying a rental property in Wash Park and that's like a luxury rental, I might want to use vacancy 10, 12, 15% because as soon as times get a little bit tough, it's going to be hard to fill something with $4,000 a month in rent. This is something that three-bedroom home, $1,850, this is always going to remain rented. Basically, your 3% is just to account for people moving out of your unit, moving into my unit, and my renter moving out and moving into your unit, right? Yep, exactly. And so my rule of thumb, I usually, usually use between 3 to 5%. Um, and that's why I like to use. What do you use? I like to use 5. Yep. Annual rent increase. How much have rents been going up lately? The last year or so? Yeah. Uh, what? It's like, I don't even know. Last year. Stat. Last year, I think it was six between 5 and 6% yeah. increase. Um, we've seen some years since like 2012, we were seeing 8, 10, 12% increase. What do you like to use for your long-term analysis, Chris? I like 3%. 3%. I do as well. Um, average over the last 40 years in Denver has been 4% average annual rent increase. I like to be a little conservative. Let's use 3%. All right. Appreciation rate. How much have properties been going up lately? Uh, I mean, this last year was still between like, depending on what part of town, I mean, you're still seeing 5 to 8% in a lot of parts of town that we're buying in because yep. it's the lower price point stuff. Um, before then, I mean, since the recovery, I mean, they've been on a roar of 8% plus a year, which is not sustainable. 
It's Nor not. should you model that. Yeah, I agree. So over the last 40 years, average in Denver has been 6% average annual appreciation. Um, you're certainly welcome to plug in six. I like to plug in 5%. Again, be a little more conservative. Chris, what number do you li- like to use? I like 3%. 3%. Yeah, right. I like to be conservative on here. Great. I like it. All right. Next one, effective tax rate. You can highlight over this little red icon. You're going to put in your effective tax rate, which is not the overall percentage of you paid. I'm sorry. It is the overall percentage that you paid. It's not your tax bracket. So to find your effective tax, figure out what you paid in your last tax returns, divide that by your total taxable income. So if you paid $10,000 in tax on $50,000 in income, your effective tax would be 20%. Now, what do you like to use for effective tax rate? I like to use 25%. Okay. Because that's close enough. I know my tax returns. That's close enough within a couple percentage points. Yep. Absolutely. Now, do you pay for property management? Of course. I like them. I do too. Now, let's say you're here on the the podcast with us and you don't like to pay for property management. No problem. See how it hides that little field there that you're going to put in information for property management? I think it does make sense to have a property manager. I personally like to have one. Um, So we're going to put in here, hey, 10%. Industry average is 10% of gross rents for property management. Your your manager might be a little less. Maybe it's 7%, maybe it's 8%. Maybe you're getting a la carte service and it's 12, 15% because you're getting, you know, a lot of extra pieces that you're adding on. Totally up to you. What number do you like to put in, Chris? So my property manager for this property is actually charging me 7% of rents. Okay. But I usually just keep it at 10% okay. uh, just to account for other property management fees as far as like marketing fees, lease up fees, you know, miscellaneous stuff on turns. So again, I just like to round up a little bit. Uh, Plus, I'd always rather be surprised at the end of the year in a good way than in a bad way. So I usually just put in 10% there as a catch-all. Unless I'm doing a really deep underwriting on something, I'll get much more specific. But I like 10% for a catch-all. I agree. Now, monthly reserves. Monthly reserves, this is money that you're going to hold back or keep in a side account in the event you need any sort of repairs to the property. Give me some examples of different repairs you might need. Oh, I mean, that's replacing the water heater, the furnace, uh, fixing the dishwasher when that breaks, redoing the floors eventually when a tenant moves out, just all that all maintenance the stuff. stuff. Right. Now, this we have here is a percentage. What percentage do you like to use to calculate for, for how much to save? So for back? condos and townhomes, I like to use 5%. I agree. Because this has an HOA and the HOAs, you know, they're taking care of the roof, the outside, a lot of the uh, bigger expenses that come up. So really, we're drywall in. Yep. So I like to use 5% for condos. And then for homes and multis, I usually use 8%, sometimes 10% if it's a much older building or it has a lot of deferred maintenance. I agree. An older building that hasn't been renovated lately still has like copper or uh, what is it? Aluminum wiring might need a little bit more for some of the maintenance. If it's got an old boiler, et cetera. Um, Condo, I don't have to do a whole lot to it. I own a number of condos and I'll tell you 5%. um, It's probably more than what I normally spend, but I like to have that in there as well. Now, this is a condo. So do we have an HOA? Yes. Yes, we do. And this is one of the new features that you put in 6.2 is uh, you separate some of these fields and you put property management HOA as a yes or no drop down, yep. which I really like. Thanks. So how much are the monthly HOA dues? Uh, it just went up. They are 349 a month. 49 So just increased. Yeah, like, I mean, like the same month I bought it, which I knew was coming. Went from 299 to 349 just increased as of January 2020. We're going to put that note in there. Not that it really matters, but I think it's important just as a reminder that, hey, we haven't had any increases lately. This is the latest increase. This is probably going to be pretty reasonable for the 
foreseeable future. And I think, as a side note, I think putting notes on properties that you actually end up buying is really important because yeah. you come back and look at a year or two later, yep. you can remember, oh, yeah, that's why I use that. Oh, yeah, that's what happened there. Yep. If it's for general quick underwriting, I don't do detailed notes, but if it's something you're buying, put some detailed notes in there. Yep. Annual real estate taxes. All right. So this is the newest assessment. It is twelve eighty for the year. That's the 2019 assessment, right? Uh, correct. So, so you guys know in Colorado, every two years, they uh, assess property values and they generally go up. That's right. Annual insurance. Yeah. So my quote on here was 430. Now that seems awfully low. Shouldn't insurance be higher? Not on the condo or townhome. That's right. That's so a great thing. You're just insuring the interior of the unit. Part of this three forty nine a month to the HOA is is covering the exterior of the unit, the roof, the walls, the sidewalk, all the things outside. All right, this is just covering the inside of the unit. All right, what about utilities? Water, sewer, trash, electric. Do you pay any of that? No. So HOA covers water, sewer, trash, and the tenant is going to pay Excel directly. So is some of this data you can get off the MLS sheet or like a, the property public record. Taxes, that's public information. HOA is on the MLS sheet. Uh, insurance, that is where you're going to have to talk with like me or Joe or talk with your insurance agent um, to kind of get a quote on there. We can definitely give you a couple rules of thumbs. But for condos, I usually stick them around $400. Yep. Uh, if they're a single family, it's usually between like I usually use $1,500 as a catch all to put in there right now. Might be a little bit higher, might be a little bit lower. Again, a lot of it, as Joe said, depends on ultimately the property. your credit score, what type of coverage yep. you like to have. I tend to over-insure slightly. But I like to, I'm cool. I'm happy to pay an extra $50 a year. For landscaping. The, this is a condo. We don't have to worry about landscaping, nope. snow removal, right? Nothing. Any other expenses nope. that we might want to factor in Nothing. Here? No. Okay. Any other notes about the property no, we want to plug in? This is a great thing in? about the condos. Um, no. Okay. No. Yeah. No notes down here. Actually, you know what I would type down here since I'm keeping this one? I would just talk what the rehab I did was just paint, uh, handyman misc, Alanius, and uh, both sliding doors are replaced. All right. So notes on the property. Um, and that's it. That's everything to fill out on this page. So this took us about maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes as we're talking through it. Once you get custom, uh, accustomed to this sheet, you'll be able to do this in about three minutes. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, maybe even less. Like, yeah. we, we speed through this stuff so quick now. Um, so once you do it. And I know some of you guys might be analyzing different properties out there. Great, we're using a condo as an example. And you might be buying a multi or a single family. Great, we're going to be doing a lot more deal analyses in the future using Joe's spreadsheet. So just get one of those if you need some more help on specific assumptions. Or always reach out to us as well. Yep, absolutely. All right, so now let's go to our cash flow tab and see our results. All right, so what you have up here at the top, 196,000 purchase price, 147 mortgage. Your down payment, 49,000. Your net closing costs, that includes your loan fees, your acquisition costs, et cetera, your repair costs, and then your total cash investment, $61,692. I want to make a note right there, what you're saying, because um, you know this is not the exact amount I ended up wiring into the title company to mm -hmm. close on the property. And that's because some of it's just rounded, but also like those repair costs, uh, something that we analyze properties with is now, do I pay for repair costs at the closing table? Generally not. So I, you know, I spent that $4,800 outside the closing table 
but I still include that in the property analysis because that's money I had to spend to get the rents I put into there. So we view as, hey, if you have to spend that money to get the rents you're projecting, you should include that in your total investment amount. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Now we're gonna look at our annual cash flow. All right, $22,200, which is $1,850 per month times 12 months, minus 3% vacancy. That's going to give us our expected annual rent income of $21,534. Property management, $2,220, which is 10% of our rents. Reserves, 5% of our rents. HOA dues just went up as of 2020. These are our monthly times 12 months. Our real estate taxes, we got those from the assessment and our property insurance. We don't pay for any water, sewer, trash, electric. The HOA covers a big portion of that and the tenant covers the rest. So our total annual expenses, $9,228. That gives us net operating income. If we paid cash for this property, this property would be generating $12,306 per year. However, we didn't pay cash. We got a new loan, $8,295 is the monthly mortgage payment of 147000 at 3.875. So $691 per month times 12 months gives us our monthly mortgage or our annual mortgage payment of $82.95. So our net cash flow in this property, $4,011. That's going to give us our results here. And you can see how these are calculated off to the side. My cash on cash return is $4,011 divided into my initial investment of 61,692. That's a 6.5% cash on cash return. My net operating income of 12,306 divided into my purchase price and renovation costs gives me a 6.1% cap rate. And my GRM, one of my favorite metrics, total cost of the property, if I paid cash, purchase price, renovation, divided into that monthly rent, that's a 108 GRM, really strong GRM on this, which equates to a very good cap rate. And then down at the bottom, our return on investment quadrant. Again, big thank you to James Orr for helping us uh, master this and letting him letting us use uh, his, his uh, analysis here. So the appreciation of the property. It's important to understand the math first, and then we'll talk about the percentages. The property goes up, we said 3%. So it appreciates $5,880. The cash flow, $4,011. Pretty easy. That's our net cash flow. The debt pay down. We're paying down the debt every single month. And over the course of a year, we've built $2,645 in principal that's been paid down. We're also depreciating the property. Based on the value of the property that we paid for it and our effective tax rate, we're getting depreciation tax benefits of roughly $1,500. We're going to add all of those together, which gives us our total return of $14,051. Now, we're going to take all of these dollar amounts and divide them into that initial investment of 61,692. So my cash flow is a 6.5% return, which makes sense. That's my cash on cash return. My depreciation is a 2.5% return on my $61,000 investment. My debt reduction, I'm paying the loan down by $2,645. That's a 4.3% return on my investment. And then appreciation. Now, we're not saying the property appreciated by 9.5%. The property only went up by 3%. But that 3% equates to $5,880 in appreciation. Divided into my initial investment of $61,000 gives me a 9.5% appreciation gain. Add those all up. This is a 22.8% return on investment. Do you think this is a good deal, Chris? 
Yeah, that's why I bought it. I, I agree 100%. <laughs> agree 100%. All right. So I think this is a, a good, very solid transaction. Nothing crazy. I want to make just a couple of changes just to show you guys what happens here. Let's say we just change this to 20% down just for argument's sake. So we went from a 25% down payment to a 20% to down a 20% payment, right? down payment. It's probably going to increase my interest rate a little bit. Let's call it 4.5. Nothing else changes. My cap rate hasn't changed. My GRM hasn't changed. My cash flow has gone down. I'm making less money because I'm paying more money to the mortgage. And I have a, a smaller investment. I didn't invest as much money. Okay. So check it out. My appreciation stays the same. My depreciation stays the same. My cash flow has gone down. My debt pay downs changed a little bit, but my overall return has increased because I put less money down on the property. All right. Really important to understand that distinction between those that if I'm putting less money down, I may get a better return on my investment, but I need to be comfortable that it's less cash flow. So lots of variables you can play with. Um, you know, you guys can download the spreadsheet from the website here and uh, and go through and try it out. Let us know if you find any questions. Um, if you you know want to analyze a property, we'd love to chat with you about it. Chris, what else do you think we should talk about on this spreadsheet? Uh, I think we did a good job of covering the basics on here. Uh, as I mentioned, a couple of the resources because we touched on briefly the first year returns, cash on cash, cap rate, GRM, and this return on investment quadrant. And that in itself is a whole easy hour-long discussion. Joe and I teach classes about every every other month here at the Urcastle headquarters. Uh, we also have a detailed podcast and blog post online talking about how to calculate these returns as well. So if you want more details on understanding those returns, uh, go to the links or reach out to us. We can get you plug in those resources. And make sure you also check out the future videos with these tutorials. We're doing one for owner occupies, those house hackers and nomaders. And we'll also do want to go over these other tabs on the spreadsheet, the long-term analysis and the long-term with cash flow principal tab as well. Talk about it on there. But I think as far as like a quick uh, summary, you did a great job, Joe. So thank you. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Anybody out there, let us know if we can help you with anything. Um, you're always welcome to reach out to Chris or myself. We'll be happy to chat with you.